As civilians run away from dangerous situations, police officers are asked to run towards them. We talked to two Rapid City police officers about the Las Vegas shooting and how their job has changed with the proliferation of bump stocks, high-capacity magazines, and semi-automatic rifles. This week on Journal Welcome to another episode of Journal Storytellers. Today with me is Dan Mertz and Jake Kelly from the Rapid City Police, uh, Police Department. And thanks for coming on today, guys, talk on the podcast. First, Dan and Jake, if you guys could just introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about how long you've been on the force and uh, what you do with the Rapid City Police Department. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having us, Chris. We really appreciate your time. Uh, I've been with the Police Department here in Rapid City for about seven years now. Had the opportunity to do some various positions in the department. Um, I'm currently on the firearms cadre, so I teach new officers pistol and rifle uh, manipulation and familiarity. Uh, also, a uh, member of the SRT, started out on, as an entryman, and now I'm currently assigned to the sniper element. And then my current assignment is at West Middle School as their school liaison officer. Like Officer Mertz, um, I'm, I'm Officer Kelly, by the way. <laughs> like Officer Mertz, I'm assigned as a school liaison officer up at North Middle School, and I also assist the elementary schools that feed North. I'm also on the firearms cadre, and I helped in, and the rest of the cadre uh, train officers in firearms, techniques, weapons handling, tactics, and I've been with the police department for about four and a half years. Okay, great. Thanks for joining me today, guys. So... Um, today we're going to talk about a, a very sad topic, but an important one. Um, the Las Vegas shooting happened uh, just over a week ago by the time this podcast comes out. And, um, you know, as civilians, when we see mass shootings like that, I always think of the people that are there and um, how terrifying that must be. But I think you guys would probably have a different take. Um, I want to know what you guys think when, when uh, mass shooting, when you see a mass shooting, uh, on TV or uh, read about it in the newspaper. What goes through your guys' minds when you see something like that happening? Well, I think, uh, first and foremost, Chris, I think we're joined with the general public uh, in feelings of uh, shock, uh, disbelief, and certainly grief, uh, especially for the victims and the victims' families that are all uh, affected by this. Uh, we all know that that ripple effect uh, goes out and affects so many people um, it affects us in the law enforcement community. It affects our country. Uh, so it's a very it's a it's a sensitive topic. I know to talk about, um, but from a law enforcement perspective, definitely a topic worth discussing. Um, so you know, as a as a police officer, we get exposed to um, a number of things on this job. This job exposes you to uh, the unfortunate evil that exists in this world. Um, and so when I see something like what happened in Vegas, I think that the wheels start turning in my mind of you know, could this happen here? Uh, and what steps do I, as a police officer, as a police department, what, what steps do we need to take to to uh, to prevent these type of things from happening? And how we can best prepare ourselves in the event that this this type of thing happens. Um, so things like, um, are we are we current on on current trends? Are we aware of current trends on these these types of suspects? Are we current on our training as officers? Are we current on our equipment um, that we carry? Uh, and I, I'm confident to say that, you know, and I'm proud to say that with our department, I feel that we are up to date. 
on current trends. Um, our officers are outfitted with the, the most updated safety equipment uh, and weapons available. And I think our tactics and training are, are certainly on point. Uh, we take note of what other departments are doing throughout the country. I will certainly um, dissect and research uh, this incident in Vegas and make sure that we're doing absolutely everything that we can to ensure the safety of the public here in, in Rapid City. Okay, great. Jake, for you, um, I, I, I assume you have pretty similar feelings to Officer Mertz, but uh, anything you want to add on that? Just to add that anytime there's a tra tragic event where our thoughts and our prayers go out to those, those victims and families, anybody involved, and there's going to be a lot of people who are affected by this. Uh, you have paramedics, fire, medical, bystanders who are helping out, law enforcement, um, everybody in that city. It just affects, goes so far beyond just the victims and families, and just our thoughts and prayers go out to them. But as a department, we're always wanting to prepare and making sure that we're trained and ready for something like that where it happened in our community. And like Officer Mertz was saying, I, I think we are. I think we're a forward-thinking department who is always trying to get on the cutting edge of training and equipment so that way we can be prepared for those types of things. And law enforcement's always just going to be there to help off-duty or on the type of people that we are. Yeah. So I uh, think about the law enforcement officers in Vegas yeah. and what they had to go through and kind of gives us some training points to think about for our department. Yeah, I think about it and everybody else is running away from that situation and you guys are running towards it. So. Um, Truly, every you know, so much uh, respect goes out to the law enforcement uh, in those kinds of situations. So, um, you guys have been on the force for a few years. How have you seen active shooter change throughout the years? Well, it, it's definitely changed. Now, you know, if you if you look back uh, in history, the last twenty years, we'll just use that as a good starting point. Um, you know, twenty years ago, near the time of Columbine, law enforcement had um, a typical response of more of a contain and control and call SWAT. Um, unfortunately, that was kind of the only training that officers had at that time, and I, I think that is because of the frequency of these types of calls. You know, um, We just did not see nearly as many uh, of these mass shootings that we do today. Um, in the last 10 years, we have somewhere upwards of 48 mass shootings that have occurred in the United States. And if you look at the 10 years prior to that, we have around 19. So it's considerably increased over time. Um, but Right around the time of Columbine, um, you know, we we came in with an approach of containing control in Columbine, and then unfortunately we had uh, many victims lose their lives in that school that day. And it really made law enforcement take a step back and reevaluate um, their current tactics at that time, and and that really is a good example of you know those tactics were not working. Um, so law enforcement took a stance back, uh, reevaluated. Um, we made significant changes, and over the years, we saw uh, things like uh, officers not waiting, or maybe waiting, uh, maybe just for another officer or two, and kind of going in small groups into a building. And then as years progress, uh, even up to the present day, um, we are training solely on the single officer response. And what that basically means is as soon as that call goes out, every available officer with a badge and a gun uh, within miles of that incident is going to respond. Um, that's going to be a hot response, meaning lights and sirens. We're going to get there as fast as humanly possible. And we're going to make immediate entry into that building. We are not waiting for anybody or anything. Um, and we are going to close the gap between uh, the officer and the suspect. 
and we're going to address that threat accordingly. And if lethal force is necessary, we're going to take that step. But um, we look at um, a timeline of these events. That the majority of these events are over within about five minutes. And if you look at the average uh, law enforcement response time, you know a typical uh, priority call is going to be responded to uh, between three and five minutes. Um, so if these incidents are over typically in five minutes, we're already behind the curve. So we know the importance of time, and then unfortunately time is not on our side. So keeping that in mind, um, we certainly train our officers to again get to that get to that scene as fast as possible and to close that gap and address that threat. What are some of the biggest things for officers to remember if they are found in that type of situation? What, what are you know a couple bullet points of, of your training? So we actually just contain or uh, just started our active uh, shooter training uh, just a few days ago uh, as a part of our in-service training for the department. Um, so every every sworn officer is going to be going through this training throughout the month of October and November. Um, and some of the the key points that we teach our officers is again the immediate response. Um, that they're going to arrive on scene and immediately go into that building. Um, and I think um, the biggest hurdle that officers, whether uh, they've been on the street for 15 plus years or uh, just a matter of weeks, is that that internal desire to slow down, to stop. Um, because, you know, let's face it, we're going into a situation where somebody um, is typically heavily armed and their sole intention is to, is to kill people. It's a tough reality and it's a tough thing to swallow. Uh, if you can imagine an officer running into, as people are running away from that type of situation, what, what is going through their mind mentally uh, and how bombarded they are uh, with all these visual and auditory things. Um, they have to keep that forward momentum and keep pushing forward and address that threat as fast as possible because we know that every second that goes by that we wait uh, could be the potential of a lost life. And to add on to that, I, for our officers, um, we want them to rely on their training. That's why we train so many times a year and we train so many hours and we talk about it and have a lot of discussions. We want our officers to fall back on their training. So we want to prepare them and provide them with all the training that they need to respond to a situation. That way when they get there, they don't have to think. They can just act, fall back on their training and they can help the people involved and, and get the situation resolved as quickly as possible. And to know that there's a community and a department to support them before and after that is, is a big thing. So we just want our officers to remember that. Okay, great. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Chris Huber from the Rapid City Journal. I just wanted to remind you to please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Journal Storytellers is available on Mondays at 8 a.m. and be watching our site for new podcast offerings. Now back to the podcast. All right, welcome back. Um, I'm here with Dan Mertz and Jay Kelly from the Rapid City Police Department. We're talking a little bit about uh, active shooters and uh, kind of those mass casualty situations. So guys, if, if a civilian happens to be in one of these horrible situations, what kind of steps can they take to um, help minimize the threat for them? Well, I think, Chris, it's, uh, it's very important to note that, um, that these instances are very rare. Uh, they do occur, and it's an unfortunate reality uh, that they happen in our society. But, you know, we certainly don't want people to live in fear 
um, that every time they go to a hockey game or a movie with their family, that these types of things are, are going to happen. These are very, very rare. But in the event uh, that somebody should find themselves in a situation like this, uh, you know, we, we want to encourage people to remember the power, first and foremost, of movement. Um, I can tell you as a, as a police officer, I've been through hundreds and hundreds of hours of training, both as a, as a police officer and as in the military, as a firearms instructor and on SRT. Um, and I will tell you, shooting or engaging a moving target is extremely difficult. Um, the power of movement can be a total game changer. Um, and evacuation, you know, if, if an incident takes place, um, we always encourage people not to necessarily duck and hide, but to get out of that area as fast as humanly possible. Um, if they're moving and they're moving fast with a purpose, um, the chances of them being injured um, or killed, especially by a firearm, um, is significantly reduced. Um, and if, obviously, if we can get out of that area entirely, our chances of being harmed are almost zero. Um, so we want people to remember um, to move in a situation like this. And it doesn't really matter. They can be in any setting. They can be in an open setting, um, such as a downtown area, a major sporting event, uh, even in their office building. We find, um, and we've proven in scenario training that even in small confined spaces, smaller than a, than a classroom even, um, just when people begin to move, um, those, those injuries significantly reduce. Um, we also want people to remember to, uh, to communicate. If you see a danger or a threat, communicate it. Tell people around you. It's just, just like if a fire broke out in the office. You wouldn't just leave your office and not tell anybody. You, you tell everybody there's a fire. Get out of the building. So we want you to communicate to those that are around you. And obviously we want you to communicate as fast as possible uh, to law enforcement. So be sure to get on your phone. Um, we all carry cell phones these days. So be sure to get on the phone and dial 911 as fast as possible so that those officers that are most likely going to be at that event anyway will be able to respond in a timely fashion. Yeah, and, and just preparing yourself uh, with some really easy stuff, like if you think about your favorite restaurant, you know where the front door is at, but do you know where the secondary exit's at? Or, and this goes for any kind of uh, tragedy, whether it be you know a fire happening in a building, uh, an incident involving a weapon of any kind. A lot of people will tend to go to the door they came out of. Well, that might be where the threat's at. So just knowing your secondary exit points in your in your job setting, where where are some other places you could go to, to get out of the area besides the front door or the door maybe that people are using. So just little things like that, being aware of your surroundings. If you see something that seems wrong, I'm, you're going to kind of know what that gut feeling. Uh, just pay attention to those signs. And just little things to, you don't have to be hypervigilant looking over your shoulder, but kind of understand your surroundings. And if something were to happen, know, already have a plan that you've gone through in your head or you've even practiced and know that plan and what you could do. Set that up with your family at home, anywhere. Yeah. So be prepared, but don't live in constant fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, just have situational awareness. Yeah. And so I think we've seen this a little bit with uh, school training changing a little bit also um, with the Alice training. Is that a similar situation where we want to want the kids and the teachers to evacuate if possible, but then also Absolutely. even become a more difficult target and if, if possible, fight back? Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So in, in fact, uh, the whole Rapid City School District is now transitioning over to this Alice model. Um, and Alice is a it's an acronym that stands for Alert, Lockdown, Inform, Counter, and Evacuate. Um, it's not a step-by-step -step process. You can 
jump around and choose if evacuation is your best option at that particular time, then we highly encourage you to evacuate. Uh, we also include barricading in there. You have to barricade yourself in the classroom. But um, it, it's very interesting. When you run through these um, scenarios, these Alice scenarios, I mean, we did this multiple times at instructor school, and we're actually teaching this model to our police officers as well. Um, we begin the scenarios with a traditional lockdown or a, just a, a sit, wait, and hide type of scenario, which a lot of people will, will revert to. Um, and we have a very inexperienced person come into that room, and their sole objective is to eliminate as many people as possible. And say we have 20 people in that room, typically we will have 20 fatalities, 20 fatal shots in that room with the duck and hide method, basically. Um, then we start adding things in there. We add, we'll go through this maybe the same scenario, but we'll add just movement. People are allowed to move through the classroom and evacuate. And we'll see those numbers significantly reduce. And we'll, in fact, use um, bad guys, if you will, that are more highly trained individuals. Um, and just with the power of movement, we'll see those numbers go down. And then we'll add another factor. We'll add in um, not only movement, but people can throw things. Um, and we talk, we get into oodle loop disruption or your thought process disruption. So this, uh, this bad guy's thought coming through the door is, I'm going to shoot as many people as possible. And that's their constant thought. But now we've disrupted that significantly because we have multiple moving targets. We have people hooting and hollering. And we have people throwing things. And it's amazing to see uh, the type of um, response that we get from the shooter and how overwhelmed they become, um, how their shooting platform gets knocked off. And we'll see uh, from the first scenario 20 casualties. In our training yesterday with trained police officers, we went down to zero casualties at the last scenario. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, the mind is a very powerful thing, but it can be very easily distracted and ultimately defeated um, when we add things like movement and disruption to the equation. Okay, great. So the last thing I wanted to touch on is um, something we're hearing a lot uh, or reading a lot in the news, and that's about uh, bump stocks, high-capacity magazines, and then the proliferation of uh, assault rifle-style weapons. Uh, do those things make your guys' job more difficult, or how does it change your job when um, you have a bump stock that can uh, take a semi-automatic rifle and basically turn it into a fully automatic rifle? Um, does that change for you guys at all? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Chris, I'll tell you a little story about how I feel about uh, equipment and uh, sure, yeah. people's ability to get certain types of equipment and weapons and bump stocks and rifles. And Dan was actually over at my house last night. We were eating dinner and shared a few too many pieces of chocolate cake. But <laughs> we were talking <laughs> about yeah, it. delicious. Good. Did you bring any for some me? Yeah. <laughs> and ate some when you left, by the way. Um, so we talked about this. And we both have been in the military. We've both been deployed. And we've both been to a third world country where... This stuff isn't available, but they are still able to cause massive amounts of harm, yeah. casualties, and and death. And these third world countries, you know, dirt floors, little to live off, and they still find a way to do it. So we talked about it. It's, it's a heart issue. It's a character issue that we want to kind of address and... Someone's so if someone wants to cause harm, they're always going to try to find a way. They're going to think outside the box, and they're going to find a way to, to cause harm. As far as the, the weapon systems available to the general public, it does pose a threat to us as law enforcement. But we also are aware of these systems out there and, and equipment that people can buy. And we train just like 
we would with any other scenario. We add in all kinds of different systems to a knife, to an automatic weapon, to anything. We train to that level. So we would know how to handle that. And we have resources around us that we can call to help us out with those types of situations. Yeah, I think uh, in, in our area, we're very blessed to live where we do. Uh, and the community here in Rapid City supports us more than, than I can even imagine. Um, and they understand, I believe, what types of threats are out there. Um, the topic of the militarization of police departments has, has come up in the news multiple times where people uh, don't understand why police officers need to carry uh, AR-15 rifles or have steel-plated body armor or uh, possess armored vehicles. Uh, this is just a, just one of many examples um, that, that is out there that, that supports those types of things for, for officers. If you're going to go in, like we talked about earlier, to a situation where somebody is, is heavily armed and is engaging innocent bystanders and you're going to run into that fight, I would hope my department and my community would support me enough to provide the necessary equipment to do that. But like I said, we, we live in a great, a great area that does support that. Um, now we're not rolling around with grenade launchers or anything, tanks or anything crazy like that, but um, we do um, provide the necessary equipment for our officers uh, to enable them to, to do their jobs effectively. And we just really appreciate the community support. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for both uh, coming on today and talking about this difficult topic. And uh, thanks for the work you guys do. And uh, stay safe out there. Thanks so much, Chris.